Now, we never want to do anything here at Everyday Church just because that's the way that we've always done it. That's one of the reasons that we're hosting this uh, sermon series, Looking at the Gathering. Why on earth do we do what we do when we gather uh, together like this? Phil introduced the sermon series to us uh, last week, um, where he was saying, like, what is it about us that gathers together? What happens when we do? And through the series, we're going to explore a whole bunch of stuff together. Uh, why do we sing together like we've started the, the service with? Uh, like why do we take communion, which we'll do later? Why do we pray together? Uh, we want to explore like, how our Sunday services and our life groups are, are not just random things that our elders have dreamed up for us to do, but actually we are doing things here that, this, that Jesus taught and then the, the apostles taught through their letters as well and explained through the New Testament. So Phil introduced the sermon series to us uh, last week. This week we're looking at the topic, why preach? So I'm preaching about preaching. It feels quite meta to me. But we're going to have a good time together. As an aside, um, this is one of those sermons where you kind of wish that you could speak for hours, not just the 30 minutes that I've been uh, allotted. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, good resources, though, to get into if you want to dig deeper into this topic. These are three books that have really shaped my thinking on this topic as I've prepared for this sermon and would encourage you to get involved in them. So uh, take a picture of that if you want to read any of those. Thoroughly recommend them to you. Uh, our direction of travel over the next 30 minutes is I'm, I'm going to spend the first time uh, talking about why and what we preach. And then I'm going to spend some time looking at some applications. So uh, receiving preaching from others, preaching to ourselves, and then also preaching to others. So that's where we're going. And I wonder if you've ever, ever thought, like, why do our sermons, like, why do they feature so prominently in our times together? Like, why do we get to sit and listen to someone for 30 minutes each Sunday? Why do we spend this time together listening to someone speaking from an ancient book, the Bible? Well, it's built on two foundations. So the foundations of preaching that God has spoken and that God speaks. So let's think around God has spoken as exhibit A, although I could have picked a whole bunch of stuff. Let me look at uh, just the first couple of chapters of Genesis, which is the first book uh, in the Bible. As you know, in that first chapter in Genesis 1, God said comes up uh, 11 times. Each day starts with, and God said... So firstly, he creates uh, spaces, he creates light and dark, oceans and sky, land and plants, and then he fills those spaces with the sun and moon, fish and birds, people and animals. And through it, we learn that God's voice, God's words are powerful and effective. Indeed, they're the very foundations of our reality. If you think about Genesis 3, which tells the story of the fall of mankind, at the moment where Adam and Eve take the forbidden fruit and eat it. What was that original temptation? What was it that Satan first came and spoke to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? God's words are powerful and effective. And right from the start of the, of the Bible, we read that it is God speaking his words. We read that our God is a speaking God. And it's not just the first few chapters in which we read that. The whole of the Bible tells the story of God's words to his people. And so this is why we want to spend time explaining the Bible, because through it, we believe God still speaks. Uh, let me just point to one verse, although I could have gone to many. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. As an aside, is there a 3.16 verse which isn't really significant? I challenge you to find one. But this, uh, this verse says, All scripture is God-breathed. So it's talking about the Bible here. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Uh, There's some incredible language that's used in these verses, isn't there? That all scripture is God-breathed. That is, what we read here is inspired by God. They're things that are spoken by him for his people. Uh, We read that what is in here is useful. So this isn't just like an, an academic ivory tower sort of philosophical discussion with no practical output into our lives. No, this is useful. It gets to the very heart of the matter of what we're going after in our lives. And it may be so that we may be thoroughly equipped. Again, this isn't just about HUD knowledge. It's incredibly practical. And so this is why we say that the Bible is our guide on all matters of belief and behavior. We believe that the Bible contains the words of life. Our God is in the business of self-disclosure. That is that he wants us to know what he thinks. And so he gave us the Bible that we can hear him speak clearly and authoritatively. And because God has spoken and God continues to speak through his Bible, so we want to respond to his commission to preach his words, to speak his words. He has given us his words to pass on to others. And so we preach. Now let's turn to our our main passage um, uh, this morning, where I think this is spelled out a bit more clearly. It's Romans 10 verses 9 to 15. So if you have an analog copy of a Bible, flick open to the right page. If it's on your phone, get it out now and look at the passage. I'll put the words on the screen behind me, but have it open in front of you as we read as well. So uh, this is our passage, Romans 10 uh, verses 9 to 15. Let me read them. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And now from this passage, I think that we can begin to discern and move towards a definition of preaching. And I'm going to say that preaching is the heralding of good news. So let's look at that first bit of it. The the preaching is the heralding of good news. So this is from verse 14. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word preaching there that Paul uses in this passage literally means the proclamation of good news. Uh, So think of a world before 24-hour news, before TV and radio, even before newspapers, even before the printing press. Well, there were heralds. I wonder if you would just close your eyes for a moment and picture the scene. A herald is someone who would go round on horseback between towns. And he would arrive, blow the trumpet. I've got great news to share. A victory has been won. And then he would get on his horse and go off to the next town. Great news, everybody. A great victory has been won. That's what Paul wants to have in mind as we're talking about preaching here. He wants to have in my mind someone who gallops around on horseback. I practiced that. And um, gallops around and declares good news to people. There's something about it which is this verbal proclamation of good news. This is what he wants us to have in mind. And to underline my point, I wonder if you've ever read this quote here. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Like, I won't ask if you're a fan because I'm going to tell you it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. He didn't say it, and it's not true. 
It's, it's wrong. <laughs> if we say that preaching is the verbal proclamation, you, you can't do it without words. I once heard a, a preacher give an illustration on this, and he said, I wish that I could throttle the person that said this quote. And then someone heckled from the crowd and said, yeah, if necessary, use hands. <laughs> so just as essential hands are for throttling, so words are for preaching. There's something about the verbal proclamation of the news which Paul wants to get across here. So yes, our preaching should be backed up by demonstration. We, we should live lives full of integrity, but preaching is proclamation. And proclamation requires verbalizations. Our, our deeds need to match our words, not replace them. So our deeds need to match our words, not replace them. So if we are to be heralds, what should we be heralding? Well, we are to be heralders of good news. Preaching is the verbal proclamation of good news. It's a declaration of who God is and what he has done for each and every one of us. And our passage today, as you can see, is littered with wonderful examples of what God has done for us. It's stuffed full of reminders of what this good news really is. I've highlighted a few. That Jesus is Lord. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All these verses are pointing towards the fact that this good news is about a person named Jesus. And if you don't understand who he is, then Christianity will just remain a mystery to you. So is he just a good teacher who can impart some life advice to us? Or is he something more? Now, by way of illustration, I wonder if you know who this man is. Any guesses? Ben Stokes OBE. This man is the hero of English cricket. He's such a significant cricketer for England that the Queen gave him an honour in the New Year's honour list, OBE. Uh, he won us the, the Cricket World Cup for the first time ever in history last summer. But, but I want to tell you the story of the third Ashes Test match uh, that was last summer, last August, against one of England's greatest foes, the Australian cricket team. I know, boo and hiss. I didn't even have to prompt that one. I know. Now, a test match is five days of cricket in which each team gets to bat twice. Yes, it takes five days, and yes, it's glorious. Now, the first three days of this particular test match were an absolute disaster for England. Australia's first innings, they scored 179 runs. In reply, England's first innings, we only got 67 Terrible. England's second innings, they came in and scored 246, meaning that England in their second innings needed to score a record run chase of 359 runs. So picture it, it's day four, England are in for their final innings and it does not go well. So at one stage, England loses five wickets for 41 runs. We collapse from 245 for five to 286 for nine. And if all of that means nothing to you, all you need to know is it's bad. It was really, really bad. And so at this point, Jack Leach comes in to join Ben Stokes in the middle, the last man batting for England, and we still needed 73 runs, a feat never achieved before in history. And imagine the tension as the impossible slowly becomes more and more possible, as this man here, Ben Stokes, cracks shot after glorious shot and hits 
boundary after boundary, dispatching these Australian bowlers to all corners of the park. And run after run after run, victory comes closer and closer and closer. And we did it. Do you want to see a picture of the moment that he scores the winning runs? Yes, absolutely we do. Look at this. Oh, what a moment of triumph. Yeah, we did it. We beat the Australians, which is news in and of itself. This is an epic moment. I present to you Ben Stokes, OBE, the hero, the champion of English cricket. Uh, now let me show you another picture just to make my point. So how do you treat Jesus? Uh, is he a coach, like a good coach, but you're actually in the spotlight, you're making the calls? So is he just a coach who gives you good advice, or is he a champion who gives you the victory? Is he a coach who just improves your game, or is he a champion that wins it for you? Like, who is Jesus? Just a coach? What is the gospel? Just good advice? Nah. Let me proclaim the good news to you. And it starts right at the beginning. Because out of nothing, God did speak, and he created everything, and it was good, and it was very good. But humanity chose not to follow God. Eat of any tree in the garden, God said, including the tree of life. Eternal life is yours, free of charge, grace from the very beginning. It's all yours. But he said, don't eat of this one tree yet, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did we do? We went and did the one thing he said not to do. We went and ate from the tree. Now we can ask, God, why on earth did you put that tree in the garden? But by doing so, we ask exactly the same question that Adam said to God. We give exactly the same excuse that Adam gave to God when God comes and confronts him after he's eaten the fruit. He says, the woman that you put here gave me this fruit. By us saying, you put the tree in the garden, why did you do that? We're passing the blame itself. God does not test us to trip us up, no. Testing exposes what's already there. And this testing in the garden exposes the selfishness that's in our hearts. The heart of the fall is our desire to grasp equality with God for ourselves. It's our selfishness and our pride and our self-obsession. It's the me first. Think Gollum in Lord of the Rings. It's mine and I want it. It's my precious. There's a selfishness, this desire for something for ourselves only. And this result of the fall is the corruption of nature. It breaks our relationship with God and with each other. But there's a wonderful seed of hope even in these first two chapters of the Bible. That even as God is giving his right curse following our rebellion, there is a promise of a one to come. That there is a saviour. And it's Jesus who came to list us out in our darkness and evil and death that we find ourselves in. He came to reset our hearts to transform us from our self-obsession, to live lives of worship to him and in harmony with others. He replaces our pride with praise, our, our conflict with compassion. He changes our worry into wonder and our despair into dancing. The promised one came and his name is Jesus. And he, born, he was born and he lived and he died. And on the cross, he took the penalty for all of our sins, the punishment that we rightly deserved, the rebellion that we partook in. He took it on himself, the full 
full force of God's wrath against evil and death and darkness. And on the cross, Jesus defeated death and then rose again three days later so that our world is now in the midst of a great rescue mission. God did not leave us in our despair, but God has sent us a champion who has won the victory for us. Jesus is Lord and he is the one who rules and he reigns and he triumphs and he is the one who has came to save us and he will come again. And so this is the great news that we get to herald to a dying and corrupted world. The king has come and the king will come again. What wonderful good news we believe. And you know, this isn't trivial. Like this reaches the deepest parts of us. Uh, So let's get real. I I know this won't apply to everyone in the room, but it will apply to many. Have you ever cried yourself to sleep because of the depth of despair that you feel? Or or those moments that you experience in your heart, the best I can describe it is like a ah moment, that the hardness of life that you feel as you reflect on your life and it's not as it should be. That the darkness that you can feel, the frustration. Romans 8 talks about all of creation is groaning with the weight of the fall that's on us. But when is the night at its darkest? It's just before the dawn. So the great good news that we proclaim is that in the middle of all of our darkness, the dawn is here because the king has come and the king will come again. And when he does, he will make all things new for us. The kingdom of God is near. It's close. And the good news of Jesus Christ changes everything. Preaching is the heralding of good news. It's the good news that God reigns. That there is no conflict between God's zeal to be glorified and our longing to be satisfied. That someday this whole earth will be filled with his glory, echoing and reverberating with the white-hot worship of a ransomed church gathered from every people and every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Isn't this good news? Preaching is the heralding of good news. So why do we preach Oh, because there is such wonderful good news for us to share with each and every person. So how do we do this? How do we do this really well? I'd like to explore just three areas of application for us quickly. We'll spend the most time thinking about how we receive preaching from others. This is a series called The Gathering, about what we do here, so I'm going to spend time thinking about that. But preaching is not just something that's reserved for people on the platform here. This is something that we're all commissioned to do as well, so that's where we're going to finish. But let's start with this preaching from others. And I want to get really practical. Like, how do we do this moment really well in our, in our services? Mainly thinking about Sundays. But some of the tips here that I'm going to go through could also apply to our gatherings together as life groups. I'm going to go through seven tips. And as someone who, me, someone who listens to way more sermons than I give, this is totally for me too. And remember, there's a couple of principles in play. You reap what you sow. So you get out what you put in, kind of. There's also a kingdom principle at play that says if you sow seed in the right place, you reap back a much more fruitful harvest. So where are we going to reap so that we can sow? So there's a whole bunch of principles I'm going to go through, seven in all. First one of which is expect God to speak. We thought already about how the Bible is God's words to us. Not only has he spoken, but he still speaks. So actually, as we open up the Bible, as we read it and as we hear it taught, there is something deeply spiritual going on. Uh, Preaching is a means of encountering God by his Holy Spirit through his word. 
And so as you come to hear preaching, I wonder if you ever prepare prayerfully. This is a spiritual thing that we're doing together right now. I wonder is, uh, as you listen to sermons, do you ever listen with an open Bible? Or, or is it closed somewhere? Uh, do you even bring a Bible to the service? Do you, do you have it open at different moments, even just when we read it, so that you can read it along too? Uh, do you listen prayerfully? Have you ever sat in a sermon and gone, oh God, would you speak to me? I'm getting well distracted right now. I want to hear your words for me. I need to be reminded of your grace and your love. Do you listen prayerfully? Do you actively engage? And, and as you're actively engaging, do you, do you listen with a, a posture of humility and submission? Uh, this is kind of in two ways, both before God. God knows better than we do. Do, do you live in uh, a submission and humility to what he says? But do you also have humility to what's being taught to you? Now, I want to be careful in saying this, because actually, could, could our sermons be better? Like, of course. Like, I mean, I've already stumbled over a whole bunch of words now. Is this, it, like, you know, is this the slickest presentation I've ever done? No. Could this be better? Of course it could. But the Bible warns us that we, we should not presume to teach. In fact, it says preachers will be more harshly judged. Uh, James, 1, uh, James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become preachers. Uh, sorry, many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Crumbs, this is not done lightly. So I want to encourage you to be careful of being critical for the sermons that you listen to. Doesn't a chicken in the farmyard manage to pick through the gravel to find the grain? So, so too can we, in a sermon that even is poorly expressed, can we find the truth and the gold that God wants us to hold on to? At number three hear the sermon in church. Because hearing sermons is not just a you and God thing, it's an us and God thing. Uh, we talk loads, don't we, about being a family here every day. Uh, when we receive teaching together, we are hearing God speak to us. We are going on a journey together, and you don't get that if you're isolated. Uh, you don't get that if you're not here, if you're not in the room. There's an importance of listening to local preaching, partly because you can see the effect of the preaching on the preacher. Like, if I'm not living this out, if I'm a hypocrite, oh man, that's dangerous. You, you don't know that unless you can get close to me and see my life. But, but likewise, it's an us thing together, right? Like, we need to challenge each other over the applications of this. We, we don't want this just to be a head exercise, do we? We, we don't want to just come in and make some notes and learn some facts and then go home. No, we want to love God better. We want to know him better. We want to live lives that are a great blessing to many. We, we do that as we challenge one another, as we live lives alongside one another. So you need to be here week by week. And you do need to be discerning about what you listen to online. Uh, we live in an amazing age, don't we? Like the world is just opening up in incredible ways. And one of the brilliant things about our age is the internet. And it means that we've got access to some incredible teaching. There is some fantastic uh, Bible teaching that you can find on the internet. But there's also some absolute trash. Like there's also some really bad stuff that we need to be really careful of. Like be really careful of someone who teaches you about a prosperity gospel that says God just wants to bless you with health and wealth now. You need to be really careful. If in doubt, ask somebody about it. There is importance here about being here week by week. Uh, sermons are like meals. So I doubt that you can remember every single meal you've ever eaten. Um, 
You'll probably remember a few. Like I, I remember a particular like, uh, like meals on holiday. Like there was a particular holiday that I took in France. I remember the table, like the sun setting, the glass of red wine. There was a wonderful moment of together. I remember that was a special meal. I remember family dinners at home. Uh, I remember our dinner table and sitting around and discussing things together. But can I tell you what I had Tuesday, three years ago? Nope. But that's okay. Every meal has been significant in causing me to grow as I have. But we, we need every single meal to help us grow, to get through that next little bit, to get through to the next meal. So too with sermons. You will remember a few really special ones. You know the ones where you just thought, wow, God was speaking to me. But there will be loads that you don't, and that's cool. That's absolutely fine. All of them are helpful for us. We need to be in the room week by week. We also need to listen actively. Take notes. Review your notes. Fight against distraction. Isn't this the point in the sermon where you're thinking about what you're going to do when you get home in the afternoon? What's for lunch? Uh, What sport can I watch this afternoon? Fight against distraction. Listen actively. Participate in what's going on here. This is a really good point. It is not about novelty. How many times have you heard someone reflect on a service or a sermon and gone, well, I didn't, I didn't learn anything new? When has that been a measure of a good sermon? It's so 21st century, isn't it? We're just looking for just that new thing. Now, listening to the gospel, listening to a sermon should be like hearing our favorite story. And I don't know about you, but I don't want someone tampering with my favorite story. It's my favorite story because of all the bits. You start mixing around or putting out of order, and you're like, that's not the story. Let me give you an illustration. This is possibly my favorite story, The Lord of the Rings. Anyone else read it? Yes, I hear some amens in the back. Yes, come on. Uh, This is one of my favorite stories. I think like the the depth of the world that Tolkien manages to create through his writing is incredible. I I love the characterizations. I love the deep themes that resonate with our reality too. It's a fantastic book. Uh, You may know that these uh, books were turned into a series of very successful films, the Lord of the Rings films by Peter Jackson. Anyone else watched all of the extended editions in one go? Yes, come on, not quite in one go. No, I've I've done that more than once. Have you sat and watched all of the, um, uh, what they call the sort of the behind the scenes documentaries as well? Yes, yes, a fellow believer, come on. Um, It's, (laughs) oh man, I, I can't get enough of it. But one thing I'll never be able to forgive the films for is how they change the characterizations of these guys. Now, these are the Ents. Now, if you're not into fantasy, I mean, this will be lost on you. They're basically like the tree shepherds, but they're a wonderful force for good in the world. Now, in the books, right, these guys choose independently to go and fight for the good side. They see this rising tide of evil and say, we must do something about this and go and fight. Now, in the film, they've inexplicably changed that. So they're sort of half-tricked in it by these pesky hobbits and they come and trick these Ents into declaring war. Now, this is my favorite story. You can't change it. So too with the gospel. The gospel should be our favorite story, that Jesus is Lord, that there is a God who reigns, and he extends our grace to us. I could hear that story every day. I don't want people changing the details of that. Preaching the gospel is not about novelty. Next, do what the Bible says. Uh, this is simple, live it out. Again, this is not just about uh, like head knowledge, is it? It's not just about an academic moment now. No, this is about us wanting to learn and love God more, isn't it? Learning to do his will and serving others. So this is not just about head knowledge. This is about us learning to rejoice in God every single day. 
Uh, lastly and definitely leastly, pray for and encourage the preacher. This is so vulnerable. Like, it, yeah, you know, fear of public speaking is like one of the highest on the list of fears, right? For very good reason. It's so vulnerable to expose even a bit of work yourself to a whole bunch of people not knowing what they're thinking. I, I've done it here, preached here, and after the service, we'll receive criticism from two or three people about things I've missed out or miscommunicated or different Bible passages I uh, should have used. Do you know, but the skill of public communication like, is not the goal of what we're doing here. Encountering God in his word is. So pray this happens as we open God's word together and enjoy it together. One of the things that we want to promise you here as, as preachers is we want to faithfully proclaim God's word to you. And we want to seek to magnify him and not ourselves. Yet we want to try and explain it in the most relevant way possible. We want to speak in a way that everyone can understand, of course. But we don't want to trust in the eloquence of our own words, but rather in the power of God to transform lives. That's why we do what we do. So there is a lot of stuff there, right? Seven good points. Have a reflection on these. There may be one or two that the Holy Spirit's just nudged you, that's niggled you in here, that you're like, mm, yeah, that, that one's me. That's the one to work on. Have a think about that. Uh, two quick applications uh, as we finish, literally a couple of minutes each, because preaching is more than just what we do here on Sundays. I mean, it's a really important thing that we do here. I encourage you to actively listen. Yes, absolutely. But you also have a role to play in preaching. Preaching is not just for those who stand in the pulpit or stand from a stage. No, this is something that we all get involved in. Uh, firstly, preach to yourself. You're with yourself every day, and you need to hear the gospel every single day. This is the importance of everyday devotions, of regularly going to God, reading the word and praying for ourselves. Uh, there's an excellent book on this topic, The Discipline of Grace, by a guy named Jerry Bridges. Thoroughly recommend this book to you. Let me summarize the whole thing to you, every single chapter of it, with one phrase. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because there is a God who rules and reigns in heaven and he extends his grace to each and every one of us and we need to hear that every day. So preach the gospel to yourself every day. But also you have a role in preaching to others. Uh, do you remember the definition of preaching I started with at the start? I talked about preaching being the heralding of good news but that's not quite complete. If we turn back to uh, Romans, uh, nine, uh, Romans 10, 9 to uh, 15 in these last few verses... The preaching is the heralding of good news from a messenger sent by God. Let me reread these verses. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God hasn't just sent me. God hasn't just sent people that speak from this platform. No, he sends us. This is a people of God thing. A couple of key verses if you want to read more in your own time. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, the Great Commission. What's that word that Jesus says to his gathered disciples, i.e. to all of us? Go and proclaim this good news to all nations. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about the fact that we are all ambassadors for Christ. 
He has gifted all of us with a ministry of reconciliation that we would preach to this broken world that there is a God in heaven who loves us. There is a reconciliation that each and every one of us are to preach and we are ambassadors, i.e. that the power is not our own. No, it's God's. He's the one that's backing up our words. We are all ambassadors. His power, the power is his and it's not ours. So let's go to proclaim his wonderful good news to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. Now, one of the most common reasons people give me about uh, not uh, keeping, like telling uh, their friends about Jesus, so one of the reasons people often say, oh yeah, no, that's, that's not for me, is they kind of say, oh, I've tried that and it doesn't make any difference, like nothing changed. I want to encourage you not to give up. Let me get my coconut shells again. And uh, you know this is a good sermon because I'm using coconut, coconut shell twice. I don't think that's ever happened before at Everyday Church, <laughs> apart from in our first service. Uh, this is the coconut that I um, used to make my dessert for the last uh, Nation Sunday lunch, uh, nicknamed by Woody as Death Row Dessert, because I said it was the thing that I would request if I was on death row as my last dessert. Uh, it involves having um, a coconut in it, so I decided to get like a, a fresh uh, coconut. And uh, dutifully, as a, as a man of the 21st century, I looked up on YouTube for how to get the stuff, you know, get out of the middle of the coconut. So once you've emptied it of the liquid, uh, there's this guy, oh, it was a brilliant video, 1990s classic. Uh, this, uh, of course he was American, right? And um, he, he stands there and he gets this little hammer and he like taps it and he goes, right, you hit it there, Ooh, and then you move it round, and then you tap it again, and then you move it round and you hit it again, and as on cue, it just beautifully splits open for him, right? So I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I can swing a hammer. So I put this coconut down on my chopping board, and I, I tap it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to do this a few times. I literally did it a dozen times, and nothing happened. And I'm like, what? I went and watched the video again. Am I doing something wrong? Am I not doing this right? Do I not know how to hold a hammer properly? Am I not swinging through? So I try again, but this time not tapping it. I smack it, right? I, I really go for this. I'm, like, I'm not being defeated by this. I literally had to hit it four times as hard as I could to get this thing to open. But dutifully, bam, it did. It cracked open. And I often think this is the way that we can uh, approach sharing our faith with our friends. It, it feels like nothing is going on on the outside. But you know, every single one of my taps or wax, every single one of them was useful in cracking it open. Every single one was necessary and useful for, ah, oh, it's open and I can harvest the wonderful fruit and enjoy it in a dessert. So too, when we proclaim the gospel, it can be so easy for us to be like, nothing's happening. Oh, you never know what's going on just beneath the surface. But sorry, that's a whole other sermon that I could preach on Acts 9, and I will not do that. But today I want to tell you, do not harden your hearts Open your ears to receive the good news and your commission to go and proclaim the good news to all who hear it. The king has come, and the king will come again, and this is news that everyone needs to hear. Uh, band, I wonder if you would like to come back up. We're going to stand and sing for the last uh, 15 minutes of our sermon. Just as I close, though, I, I would like to pray for us. and I'm going to do so using the words of Isaiah 52, verse 7. So if you want to uh, open your Bibles or, um, or turn on your phones there, uh, I'm just going to use these words to, uh, to pray for us as we seek to share our faith with our friends. So Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and say to Zion, your God reigns. Father, we want to be those that proclaim your peace to a world that is hurting and in such conflict. Father, we want to be those that proclaim and bring good tidings to people that are hurt. Father, we want to be those that proclaim salvation 
to those who are so desperately in need of rescue. Father, we want to be those that declare that you reign. But Father, we cannot do this by ourselves. So we say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you empower us? Thank you that we do not do this by ourselves. We do it with each other and with you. Your Holy Spirit empowers us. So Father, we ask, send your Holy Spirit amongst us that you would empower us, that each and every one of us would hear not only your good news and receive it, but also receive our commission to go and tell others about this wonderful news. Father, we pray that there would be people here that receive this commission for the first time this morning, that they even now feel their hearts quickening with the desire, the anticipation, the excitement of, oh, I get to proclaim good news to a hurting world. Father, would you send us out that we would be those that bring good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.